Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting the Circuits Radio Program. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we break down everything racing. With me in the studio tonight is Mr. Gray Warren, Mr. Richard Uden, and Mr. Joey Barnes. How is everybody yeah, tonight? Thank you. All right, great to have you guys here. So, um, you know, big breaking news story um, happened just literally a few hours before we uh, began our taping. But uh, this one kind of uh, came out of came out of the blue. I sure didn't expect to hear that uh, Chad Knauss and uh, Jimmy Johnson will not be together um, next year, Daryl. You know, um, they're going to switch things up. Um, young uh, William Byron will have Chad Knauss as the crew chief as uh, Jeff uh, Mandering moves over to the team to take over the Jimmy Johnson car. So, uh, Gray, uh, is this uh, is this a look towards the future to try to boost um, young young Byron's career uh, as, as Jimmy's career is in a twilight, or is it just an attempt to, to shake things up and make everybody there more competitive? Well, I think it's I think it's the latter, Frank. I think that, you know, uh, the 48 team is in the midst of its longest losing streak that they've had. Um this is not unusual in the sport over the years. Uh, the Jimmy Johnson, Chad Knauss uh, relationship has, has been a long and, and fruitful one to say the least. Uh, but I think it comes a time uh, in, in any relationship in professional sports when things tend to go stale. And I think this is, this is what we're seeing. I think it's probably, uh, it, it, you know, from the organizations looked at this, and it's probably a, a mutual on, on, on everybody's uh, uh, feeling that, that, that something had to be done uh, just to shake things up, to have a fresh start. Uh, we all know that Jimmy's probably in the last two years of his career. I mean, that's not a big secret. I think Jimmy done after the 2020 season. Uh and I think it's 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 just a shake up uh, at, at Hendrick Motorsports to kind of um, get them turned around and in, in the in the right direction again. Uh, they've shown some uh, some good speed in the last few weeks. Obviously, with with um, Chase Elliott 
winning a couple of races in the last quarter of the of the season. So, yeah, it's, it's some good positive things going on over there. I think, you know, when you look at some of the stuff that's gone on with Jimmy's team uh, this year, they've had some uncharacteristic mistakes. Uh, you know, uh, they've had some failures and stuff, and, and people have kind of scratched their heads on that. Uh, the ball joint thing at, uh, at Dover this weekend, you know, that, that could be just a, a, a simple part failure that could – you know, one in a million, it could happen to anybody. But I think, you know, w- when you run bad, things like that are compounded. Um, and I think it's just time to, and, and things get said, and uh, there's, they, there begins to be a tension within the team, tension be- between the two principals on the team, the crew chief and the driver. And I think that's probably what's led to some of that. Um, so so they're going to bring in uh, Kevin Mandering to be the new crew chief for, for Jimmy Johnson. Uh, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. So uh, I think that'll they've worked together. He's, he's, he's probably he's worked in the 48 organization before. So um, that'll work. And I think uh, Grubb, uh, let's see, he's going to the, – that was the crew chief for um, uh, William Byron, Darian Grubb. He's going to move up to technical director. So uh, it's just going to be some shifting of people and personnel inside that uh, Hendrick organization. Uh, I think uh, you know they'll they'll get this done. They'll come out swinging in 2019. All right. So now, Richard, you wanted to talk about that ball joint issue a little bit. Yeah, it's typical. Um, you know, it's an interesting. It's typical. Oh, my opinion for what it's worth here. Um, typical sort of NASCAR shenanigans. Um, the that's not a part you'd replace between qualifying practice and the race to my mind um unless there's an issue with it and then for it to fail you know almost straight away on the weekend in the race it it leads you down one path and this was something that years ago at uh, RCR we had an issue with in one race the cars will typically make it a very aggressive maneuver onto the banking as they come off pit road. The idea of that is there's will typically be parts on the car that are designed to be in a certain location to go through inspection. And then when you attack that banking and sort of slam the car into the banking, it'll jolt the suspension or the geometry into such a way that will actually increase the skew of the car. And my guess is that this was potentially a new part on the car and the loading that it saw as they went up that banking was more extreme than they've run in the past, um, or that their simulation has shown, and that's what caused it to fail. So, you know, a little bit unlucky there, but, you know, to a certain amount, there's a lot of due diligence has to be done when they do these little tricks and, uh, you know, parts like this and what have you. Um, And... It's amazing how often you see a car, you know, have these issues, um, you know, on the on the laps before they go to green. I think the 78 had something similar happen earlier in the year. I'm not entirely certain, but uh, it's not uh, not un- un- completely unheard of. Well, yeah, and, and, and what you're saying is, is true and correct, too. It's hard to, you know, and, and to, it's, to a degree of speculation, I know the three car had a, had a similar issue at Texas early in the year when they were swaying their car around up on up and down on the apron and had 
had and broke a, a, a trailing arm early on. So yeah, those things do those things do happen um, as well. And so uh, you know, like I said, I just think like like anytime there's a failure like that, and you, you're in the midst of a uh, of a, a pretty dismal season where things haven't gone your way, you you know you you're coming off not making the chase uh, or making the playoffs. So obviously um, morale was probably a little bit low throughout the team, and there, and there was some tension again, like I said, between the two principals. I think it's just it was inevitable that that, that something had to change, and I think they made it. I, and too, I think in, in a lot of other areas. It, it, it may be a good move for for Hendrick. Um, obviously, the the combination with uh, Chase and his crew chief seems to be working and coming around now. So obviously, obviously, you don't want to upset that. But William Byron, William Byron is is you know is looked upon as an up and comer in the Hendrick organization, and to put a 17 year veteran like Chad Canals with him to pair him with him now to help him get his career rolling. You know, it, it is not a bad idea. And then to take Mandarin and bring him into the Cup Series and pair him with with Jimmy Johnson, uh, kind of jump starts his Cup career a little bit. So you know, um, we'll just, you know, only time will tell. But it, it may be uh, a good move for the Hendrick organization all the way around. Yeah, I certainly think it will be. I mean, you know, time will tell. You know, and and even if it all doesn't work out, you know, Jimmy and Chad. Uh, have both earned their place in the Hall of Fame, in in, in my mind, anyway. You know, the, the, one of the, the greatest combinations. Yeah, the 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 seasons those guys put together over the last decade and a half are phenomenal. So, and we've yeah. got we've got uh, you know a few races left in this season to see if uh, they can they can get one more together before um before the season's up. So, but let's talk about the races past weekend at Dover, as you mentioned, uh, Chase Elliott coming into his own. Um, you know, uh, very popular <laughs> win again. You know, uh, the fans love this guy um I, I think he's got a lot of personality i think he's got a lot of talent i think he's a very popular winner but uh, uh you, you couldn't help but feel bad at the end of the day for old eric amarola man that guy can't seem to uh catch a break uh, when it looks like it's his day huh well it was looked like it was going to be a, a Stuart haas parade at one time all four of their cars were running in the top five well i think one two three four at yeah. one time there during the course of the race. Didn't uh, Ford have seven of the top five at one point? At one time they did. That's correct. And, and uh, you know, it looked like it was going to be Harvick's race to win or lose, whatever way you want to put it. Uh, he, he dominated dominated the race until he had a, had an issue uh, on pit road, had a uh, uh, the pit crew during a tire change, uh knocked one of the valve stems off and he had to make an extra pit stop which put him back in the back in the field and he wasn't able to completely recover from that and that that allowed uh amarola to to ascend to the front and he led a he led a good portion and like frank said he would look look to be headed to his to his second <laughs> of his career um but uh, as always the case some late race cautions and uh and a, and a restart uh was the end of the road for for his for his bid for victory, and opened the door for the number nine car to uh, to come up and uh, and and in some ways steal the race. But you know you got to put yourself in position to win these things, and and uh, he he certainly did. Uh, one of the things that's uh, probably been his down Chase's downfall 
in some of the races that he's lost is, is late race restarts. Well, he hit this one like he needed to and was able to drive away there at the end and, and, and get the win. So, yeah, big win, popular win, like you said, Frank, uh, for another young driver two weeks in a row. We've got gotten Ryan Blaney and uh, and Chase Elliott wins, and, and I think that's, that's good for the sport. Uh, you know, both of these kids are, are the future of the sport and, uh, uh, you know, uh, get the fans excited. Yeah, so for Eric Amarola, I mean, that the difference for him, you know, is um, that would have that guaranteed him a spot in the next round had he won that. Instead, he's still below the cut line, uh, along, along with his teammate, Clint Boyer, is right. below the cut line as well. And um, the other guys... Well, the other guys yeah. are Larson and Larson and Bowman are the, the two other guys um, right. below the cut line. And, you know, Talladega is a wild card coming up. You know, you, you yeah. really wanted to make hay at Dover where, where, you know, the conditions are a little more, uh, you know, controlled, for lack of a better I mean, word, to, compared to Talladega. to Talladega. Yeah. Right. Now, Talladega can end your, end your bid in one lap no, that's, that's, and it be done. But the good thing... Even though they lost the race, the, the ten, Amarola and that 10 crew can walk away from that race knowing, hey, we were a factor in this race all day long, and we can win We can win these races, and we can compete at the highest level at the top. So they're going to come away, as disappointed as they are not being able to win the race, they're going to come away with that with a lot of confidence. If they can squeak through Talladega, and, and I tell you, Amarola is a really good plate racer, mm-hmm. and they have good cars there. So I'm sure he's, you know, everybody goes into Talladega with a bit of trepidation, but I'm, I'm someone like Amarola is probably going in with a with, on a on a on a high note on, with a with a good deal of confidence going in, knowing if he can keep his car up near the front, he's got a good shot uh, of winning and advancing to the next. Uh, to the next round. So, uh, and then of course, you know, you could have some guys that right now look like they're sitting pretty can be caught up in a big wreck and go, go from, go from in to out, you know, in a heartbeat at Talladega. And that's, that's always the case. It's been a, it's a wild card. We know that, uh, going in, but, uh, I think, uh, the 10 guys have got to walk away from Dover, uh, feeling pretty good about their, about their team. Well, I think the, um, the the entire Ford camp in general has come on strong during the playoffs when we look at who's who won the playoff races so far. Uh, you know, Elliot, Elliot kind of snuck up and stole this one, but, uh, you know, Kyle, Kyle Bush grabbed one, but, uh, you know, Keselowski, Blaney, you know, Amarillo running good, Harvick's always running well, yeah. and, and plus the end of the season. The, 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 Ford, the Ford is on fire just at the right time of the yeah. year. And we, yeah, true. Then Ford's Ford's been tough all year, and probably looked looked like they're heading toward a manufacturer's championship this year. But but look at the resurgence Chevrolet has enjoyed over the last few races. Uh, arguably, uh, the forty two had the best car at the Roval at Charlotte uh, before getting caught up in some. In, in an accident. Jimmy Johnson ran very well. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms 
and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. At the road, well, you know we've we've talked about him trying to win the race from from second place, and and and, and him and Truex getting together. Uh, then you've got Chase coming on and 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 running well enough to win at uh, at Dover. So Chevrolet's made some strides too, and they've been a lot more competitive uh, down the stretch. And of course, when we go to we go to a place like uh, uh, Talladega, you know. All, that that's the great equalizer. You could have any one of the three makes win uh, win there next week, and it wouldn't it wouldn't be a surprise. So, yeah, you, you could um, show up in a Buick or an Oldsmobile, and if you survive the carnage, yeah. you win the thing. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, but it's always fun to watch. So, oh yeah, no doubt it's one of the most exciting races of the year. And then when you throw in the the playoff element into it, it, it makes it it makes it even more so. And uh, of course, you know. Uh, with Dover uh, being, let's see, Dover was the first race in this segment, so Talladega is the middle race in, in this in this uh, round of uh, round of twelve, and then we go to Kansas as a transfer race uh, next week. So yeah, um, people are going. Like I said, Talladega is going to be a very interesting race. It's a uh, it's a, one of these modified type impound type things. I think the teams report. On Friday, uh, track activity on Saturday, uh, practice uh, and qualifying, and then the cars are impounded for Sunday. And, of course, we've got a little bit of a hurricane coming up uh, off the uh, Gulf Coast, uh, slammed into the panhandle of Florida today, and it's uh, skirting through the eastern portion of Alabama up into Georgia and headed up into the Carolinas now. So, I know the trucks were held back a little bit before they leave. Of course, obviously, they don't have to check in until Friday. So there's still plenty of time, and this storm is pretty fast moving. So uh, I don't think we're going to see uh, any real impact from the storm at, uh, uh, affecting the race at Talladega this weekend. Now, most of that weather should have uh, have run through there. So um, so we've got, got a few more minutes left. We can spend on NASCAR, but uh, about enough time to make some picks. Um, and, and Richard, who, who, I mean, Talladega is a crapshoot, you know, throw, throw a dart at a dart, a dartboard, so. Uh, gosh, you know, that's really, yeah, I mean. Yeah, it could be anybody, couldn't it? Um, yeah. it'd be good if Jimmy Johnson won, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, Let's sure, yeah. Let's stick that one out there. Let's stick that one out there. All right, and Gray, who, who you liking? Gosh, I don't know, you know, you could have, you could have a spoiler come up in this thing, but I tell you. Uh, the young guns seem to be really coming to the forefront here lately. Uh, I'm going to say maybe um, Kyle Larson uh, gets gets a, a long overdue win this season. Good pick there, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Brad Keselowski. He's been one of the strongest plate racers. He's been really strong at Talladega the last uh, four or five years, and certainly you know with him being only two spots above the comf- comfort or, uh, above the cut line, 
Um, you know, getting a win in Talladega and securing a spot to the next one will certainly give him a better level of comfort uh, heading into um, heading into Kansas and heading into the the next round of the chase. So, uh, with that being said, uh, Joey Barnes is here. We're going to talk about IndyCar for a little bit. Gus driver movement. Um, you know, largely the uh, the big teams are staying static. Uh, you know, with the big exception of uh, Felix Rosenquist uh, coming in to take that number ten car alongside Scott Dixon. You know, um, I think that's a good move. I like Felix a ton, um, but in my mind, you know, Ganassi hasn't had a solid one-two punch um, since uh, Dario stopped driving. So, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on um, Felix here? Do you believe that this is really gonna really gonna make a solid um, two-car effort uh, out of Ganassi again? I do. I think Felix is an elite talent. Uh, I know we've said that in the previous shows where I've kind of given my thought about Felix just being one of those guys that if you put him in a car next to Lewis Hamilton, he's going to go challenge Lewis Hamilton. I, I just think that his talent is on that kind of level. And so this is a really good move in, in multiple ways. Nassie. One, it, it probably gives you somebody that can challenge Dixon, which after five championships, he's clearly not getting complacent except for winning. Um, so from that perspective, I think the Felix can help bolster the overall roster in that in that uh, mindset. But I, whenever I look at this, uh, I also feel like this is an opportunity to maybe move beyond Scott Dixon at some point in time. This is a a situation where somebody like Felix is somebody that you can build around for years to come, the same way that we saw Chip do with Dixon many many years ago. So. Really good overall move. I hate it for Ed Jones. I hope that he finds a situation that's a little bit more stable for him because he does deserve a place on the IndyCar grid. But this is just another guy to come in and help create even more talent to an already ridiculously talented IndyCar roster. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of Ed Jones, so you're, you know, you're talking he uh, was able to parlay his um, you know, Indy Lights scholarship money uh, into a ride with Dale Coyne, that Dale Coyne ride transfer. You know, transferred into a full-time ride with Ganassi the following year, where Ed was actually collecting a paycheck, uh, and now it looks like he's out the door. You know, and, and it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, uh, Gabby Chavez um, utilized his sponsorship money, uh, ended up running a full season with Brian Herta. You know, Herta's team merged with Andretti, and Gabby was out the door. Found a second second opportunity with uh, Harding Racing. Harding's now merged with Steinbrenner, <laughs> with Andretti thrown in there for good good measure. Uh, Gabby again once looking for work. Um, and then we talk about a guy like Kyle Kaiser who had enough money to um, with the scholarship to uh, have three runs in Ricardo Yunkos's car. And as Ricardo was having conversations about who's going to be in his car or cars next year, um, he's talking, you know, he's very frank with the fact that uh, he's looking for pay drives. And, and with, you know, Kyle's money dried up um, you know, it doesn't look like uh, it's going to be Kaiser in that car. Uh, like you say, they may put him in the sports program. But uh, you know, what is this? What is this for the the, the last Indy Lights guy that's uh, that's still there and doing well? The guy that won the championship and parlayed his his scholarship money into something good is uh, Spencer Piggott. So, um, I mean, what are your thoughts, particularly when you factor in the you know Mazda's leaving the program too? What it, what's the future for Indy Lights champions and and moving into the series and staying? Well, I think that, you know, talking to Dan Anderson, uh, I guess now is about a month ago, but seeing what's evolved and transpired since Monda, Mazda announced that they were leaving in July, I mean, he's been hit head on with multiple different things. Uh, and when you look at it, trying to come up with a prize money package for next year, trying to figure out what kind of partners that he had, or, or some are automotive and some are non-automotive, 
coming into the program to help bolster it uh, so that way that scholarship can be in place. You know, so from that end, I believe Anderson Promotions, Road to Indy, and IndyCar doing all they can do uh, with the resources that they're given to try to ensure that they can present something for an Indy Lights champion. And they still want to continue to do something that involves the three-race deal, which includes the Indy 500. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, racing is expensive. And, and, and the funny thing about this is IndyCar's towards the, for lack of a better word, uh, lower end of what you what it would cost to get in a top-tier series. It's not going to be NASCAR money, which is ridiculous. It's not going to be F1, which is incredibly hyper-ridiculous, if that's even a word to use. But, um, you know, I... I would like to see something because clearly, you know, there's got to be a way to change this up. And I don't know if it involves getting Chevrolet and Honda in a joint effort uh, to to help delve that money towards the Indy Lights champion. You know, maybe maybe it's a situation where that three race deal comes together for on behalf of Anderson Promotions uh, and in, being the Indy Lights champion, they get their three race deal. But maybe the other, say, 14 races are a 50-50 split between Chevrolet and Honda. That's tough to agree on if that guy's driving for the other team, though, right? So maybe it's a situation where maybe we're bidding on these guys at some point in time uh, because we've got to make sure that we keep the Road to Indy uh, champions you know, progressing up the ladder and coming in. I think that, for lack of anything else to say, I mean, it, it's just... In some ways, obviously, it's really unfortunate. At the same time, you know, IndyCar is about having the most elite talent you can from all around the world, and sometimes that's not always going to come from the road to Indy. Sometimes it's going to. Uh, you know, Spencer Piggott is less championship after championship from road to Indy, and he's had to fight every step of the way. I mean, let's not forget that this is a guy that was a, a part-time driver for road and street courses for two years of his career, and I think the bigger part of that is the fact that Carpenter Racing, A, it's an it's an owner in Ed Carpenter that's trusting that driver. And the second part of that is is you've got partners like Fuzzy's Vodka and Ferd Freezer that they found a way to gravitate towards Piggott. They found a way to, to latch on because they trust and believe in the potential that this kid can deliver the same way that maybe New Garden delivered many years ago uh, for them. So. I think that part of that is also making sure that you get in with the right infrastructure. And in an IndyCar, uh, no disrespect towards any of the teams that are coming in, but you know you can't. And Ricardo Yunkos has even said this: I don't expect to come in and immediately beat Roger Penske. I I, I understand that this process could take five, ten, fifteen years if it ever happens, because these guys got twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years on us, and it's naive to think that we can come in and immediately do anything against them. Um, and to the other end of that, guys like Roger Penske, you know, they're not going to grin Indy Lights in. They're going to wait, let them season out somewhere else, and they're going to they're going to pick up the evolved version of that driver once they've really proven themselves in the series. We saw that with New Garden after Ed Carpenter, uh, with, with what was it, Fisher Hartman, Carpenter Racing, or however it was, after he kind of reaffirmed his status as a top tier potential driver goes on and wins a championship with Penske in his first year. So I, I think it's a combination of things where big teams need to be a little bit more involved. And, um, 
but again, I mean, if the money's not there, it's tough to produce these kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the ideal situation would be you know, if all the teams were funded. You know, Pickett stays in the ride because he's in a funded program. You know, he's not expected to bring money to the program. You've got fees there and you've got preferred freezer there, right? You know, but a, a lot of these smaller tier teams that are that are strapped for cash are the ones that are picking up these uh, Indy Lights guys because uh, they need the scholarship money. And then once that's, once that's spent... You know, it, they're looking for money elsewhere. You know, that's kind of the Kyle Kaiser situation. So, uh, you know, I don't even, you know, know if it's a better idea to find a, a sponsor for, you know, for the series who, uh, for the, the road to Indy that would, uh, you know, back the, you know, back the car for the year. You know, you if you get, you know, the, this you win the thing, you get take whatever, insert your company name, Amazon or whoever wants to do it, uh, name goes on that car for the year and they, and they fund the program. Um, you know, a good idea or not, but you know, the, the thing is, like we said, you're going into a, a cash strap team, so the ability to make a big impact is not as prevalent if you were with a with a, in a in a top team, and then the, yeah, without that impact, you don't make that impression on that top team who might want to sign you. Other than Ed Jones, it worked out for him, but uh, so, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll move on from that. Uh, I want to talk about the. Um, the open seat at Schmidt-Peterson. Um, Robert Wickens, we saw some video with, with him. Uh, him and Hinchcliffe are racing wheelchairs. Um, remind me of that scene out of Days of Thunder. But, uh, you know, through it all, the nice thing is that uh, Robert has not lost his sense of humor. But, it's you know, it's it's very unlikely that we'll see him in a car uh, next year. Certainly not at the start of the season. But uh, I, I, it, the team has been rather quiet of who they're looking for, looking at. So um, what, what are you hearing? Um, I'm not hearing too much uh, personally. Uh, they're keeping this thing pretty tight-lipped, but I, I can tell you. I, I guess the best way I could phrase this is, you know, if if I'm in if I'm in Sam's position, uh, Mr. Mr. Schmidt, uh, I think that you're going to look at a driver that can that brings some experience. Maybe not go for the for the hot shoe youngster that's trying to prove himself because that's how you end up sometimes with wrecked race cars. Uh, I think we we just spoke about him, Ed Jones. I mean, obviously Carlos Munoz was in that car in a substitute role towards the end of the season, did pretty solidly. Uh, but I think that you know, somebody like Ed Jones doesn't really crash a lot of cars. And when you look at it, he's got the experience, right? Sure. And yeah. The Ed- one thing that I'll say about Ed that, and and you know, I, I can reiterate this about somebody like Ed Jones is the fact that he's driven for. Two different teams in two different years in two different Arrowkid eras, and not one thing has ever been the same since he came in after being an Indy Lights champion. And I think that he's one of those guys that would really benefit from some consistency and some stability. Um, and even if it's just the same Arrowkid at this point, so I think that he would be a good choice uh, for that seat. Granted, uh, sometimes Sam likes to go against the grain, and we saw Aaron Tielitz uh, testing uh, testing that car and get positive reviews back in May. Um, I know that, that Sam liked what he did. I know Hinch was, was pretty happy with what he saw. Uh, and there also is uh, Santi Arudia, who also is in Indy Lights along with Tielitz, uh, both at Bellardi. But Santino, or Santino, uh, Santi has a history with, with Schmidt. His first year in Indy Lights, when he finished runner-up to Ed Jones in the championship, he was with Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. So there is some connection there. I, and you know what? At the end of the day, when you 
in some ways don't know what anything after next year brings. If you bring in a rookie that can be quick, that can still take care of the equipment, it's not a it's a good problem to have if you've got to look over, you know, three fast drivers and figure out who of the three to keep. Because um, overall, it just helps the depth of the not just the team but also the sport. Granted, uh, those are the that's the to, to kind of bring in a football analogy. That's the Joe Montana, Steve Young situation. You know, you trade away Joe Montana and bring in Steve Young after somebody's already won for you, or, or, you know, do you keep Montana and get rid of Young? And I think that's, in a, in a driver situation, that's what you could be dealing with if you bring in a, a guy who just goes in and performs absolutely, uh, absolutely well enough to throttle maybe even Hinchcliffe next year. Yeah, and then you've got, um, throw that into the mix, that Lucas Oil is still on board with the program as far as I know. Uh, so, so they don't necessarily need to look toward a pay driver, and you got then you got a guy like Connor Daly out there on the lines trying to trying to hold. He's done a little substitute work, subbed for uh, Hinch, I believe, uh, with the team. That did great. Yeah, it did a great job. So, and and Connor Daly is really popular with the fans as well. You know, he's really you know, the fact that he he drives infrequently. Um, he's for some reason people love the guy. You know what I mean? He's got a lot of personality. He's uh, he some just don't love him. But um, he would definitely put some eyes on the car. You know, he would get to, well, get to meet. A couple points there, too, is, is A, Lucas Oil uh, being involved, the potential there for it not necessarily to have to be a paid driver to come in. Um, you know, and, you know, somebody like Connor, who in, in this brief conversation was kind of an afterthought in my mind just because he wasn't somebody that we saw actively on the grid beyond a couple of races last year. He's certainly a viable candidate for that seat. And I think the the biggest thing to hit home with on this whole situation is how good the sponsors have been to Schmidt this year. You know, when you think about the, the overall program, think about what they had to endure in May with Hinchcliffe. And they didn't try to buy a ride to put Hinch in a car and, and kick somebody else out. They they decided to, to slap those decals somewhere else. Um, you know, I, if I remember right, Jay Howard had a little bit. Uh, obviously, obviously, Wickens had some on his car, and they didn't pull anything out of that situation, you know. And, and Honda has also been really supportive of the situation. And then you look at what happened with Wickens, and Lucas Oil, you know, stands by the entire process. I think that it's so important that we have sponsors that are, for lack of a better word, this human, right? That they understand the, the human element of the sport and back a situation like that because. There's so many man hours and woman hours, for that matter, uh, involved in getting these cars up and going, and it, it, it's so much emotion, so many things, and so when when something doesn't go right, sometimes you see it, see it hit you, monet, you know, money wise. But it, if it hits you money wise, it's also going to just potentially take you out of the sport altogether. So to have sponsors like that is great, and I think that the next guy that's going to come in and be maybe, in my mind, a one-year sub uh, to, in that six car. I, I think we look at a situation where, obviously, they're going to have to have some approval uh, with, with Lucas Soil because Lucas Soil's been really good with them every step of the way, and you'd like to think that whoever, they're going to Sam with the process, but at the same time, Sam's going to also try to do his best to get the best representative for that uh, sponsor in particular because of just how good they've been with the program. 
All right. Well, we'll revisit that in the coming weeks as as more announcements are made. We're just looking forward to announcements on, uh, you know, a possible third Dale, Dale coin car. See who Ricardo Yunkos is going to put in his cars. Um, you know, so, but anyway, we're going to need to uh, wrap this up and turn our attention to, to Formula One with Richard and talk about this race in Japan. So, uh, Joey, any final IndyCar thoughts you want to throw out there before we move on? Um, you know, just kind of thinking about this, us talking about this Schmidt-Peterson situation, what if this leads to a potential third car in 2020? What if this opportunity for this sub that comes in and does incredibly well next year, potentially, if they, if they do well, could this open up the potential for yet another car on the IndyCar grid? And I think that's something that the sport can use to grow. These sponsors have been really good to Sam. Could we see a situation like that happen? I, I think that would be interesting to see a team that was just a one-car program not that long ago uh, evolving itself and growing and to be- you know, go after some of the heavy hitters like Nasty and like Andretti on the side. So that, that's kind of my final thought. I don't believe that whatever happens next year ends with maybe a two-car team. I think we could see a situation where it could grow from there. And that would be a good thing. That would be a thing. So. All right, Joey. Well, thanks uh, Thanks a lot for uh, the IndyCar segment. And um, we'll uh, talk about another Formula One race, another win for Hamilton. I, I believe it's his eighth on the season, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, not a great weekend for Ferrari or for Sebastian Vettel. And they've just about put the championship out of reach for them, huh? Yeah, it was. I mean, the, the Suzuki is one of those tracks that with the mistake, Ladies package, they're going to be pretty hard to beat around there. And Ferrari just were never, <laughs> to coin a phrase, never at the races all weekend. Um, there was some weather on Saturday during qualifying. It was wet and then dry, then wet and dry. And Ferrari just sort of dropped the ball a little bit and, and never really got the right lap in at the right time. And uh, Mercedes executed properly. and. I think the mistakes that you're seeing coming out of Ferrari are very, um, you know, a very good example of a team under pressure and a team that's on the back foot. And you, you've got to give. There's a certain amount of criticism that is is justifiable towards what you know towards Ferrari and and these mistakes. And to a certain extent, Vettel as well. He's made a, a couple of mistakes throughout the season. And of course, there was one uh, this past weekend in in Suzuka when he clashed with Max Verstappen. But You've also got to give a huge amount of praise to Mercedes, who have certainly upped the game in the last few weeks. You know, they've really come on strong um, after the mid-season break, which some teams seem to be able to do. They, they, you know, this two-week break in the middle of the season when you're not supposed to do any work on the car, they seem to come back with a far, far faster car than they started with. Um, so you do, you, you do have to give Mercedes credit there, and Hamilton especially. You know, he was. He was dominant. He was quick. He executed properly. He didn't make the mistakes. He he put the pressure on and he, he controlled the race. It was almost a perfect weekend for him, really. You know, there was nothing. Um, yeah, everything went according to plan. There was no there was no mistakes. He was never in danger during the race of, of not winning. Um, I mean, a couple of times he came on the radio. A similar situation to believe what we saw in Sochi uh, the weekend before, complaining that the engine was a little bit late on pickup exiting a couple of the corners but i mean if that's your biggest problem you're going to be doing okay so yeah it it was just it, it was a procession really um suzuka is one of those tracks it's an amazing circuit it's, it's one of the old-fashioned tracks out there and 
it's the only figure of eight circuit they run in in Formula One, and uh, you know, the, the great corner after corner. You know, you've got the S's to start with, and you've got the two little right hand Degner flicks, and you've got the hairpin, the spoon curve, and one thirty R, and then the chicane where Senna and Prost came together. I mean, it, it's an iconic circuit. It's a fantastic circuit, but they they do struggle at times with overtaking around there because the the circuit is so aero-dependent, and it's you know through those S's, it's almost impossible to to follow. And then you could potentially pass into the hairpin, but again, you, you know, you're trying to follow a car closely through the two Degner curves, and you can't do that. The long straightaway over the bridge, you know, it's on the exit of the spoon curve, you can't really follow. Going into that final chicane, you've just come off 130R, so again, you can't. It's really, really hard to pass around there, which is a real shame. Um, but not that anybody was going to get anywhere near Hamilton to be able to pass him anyway. The only moves you saw during the race was Vettel trying to push his way through from uh, from qualifying. I think he started at 7th or 8th. Um, it was 8th, I think it was. Um, you know, he made a move on, on Max Verstappen, which was a little bit optimistic, and they touched, and Vettel ran wide and uh, and lost quite a few spots there. But, um, you know, that, that was a sign that Vettel was under pressure. And... Uh, you know, Max isn't one of those guys that's going to give you much room, and uh, he didn't. Um, later in the race, Verstappen got a penalty of his own when he clashed with Raikkonen, which was probably justifiable. You know that they locked up going into the final chicane, and uh, Verstappen ran wide. And then when he rejoined the track, he pushed Raikkonen off off track there, and I think he was actually given the penalty for, for rejoining the track in a dangerous way, which I think is, you know is justifiable. I mean. Because all the drivers are going to complain that they don't deserve these penalties, but uh, it was a, uh, you know, for those of us that stayed up till one o'clock in the morning to watch the start of the race, I don't know how many actually made it through to the end. It uh, it was pretty, um, yeah. If you were, if you were an insomniac, that'd be a great race to watch. Yeah, yeah. It was it was fairly uneventful after the green flag flew, you know, at the front of the field anyway. But uh, yeah, at the same time, so we've got um, you know social social media comments. Uh, about Vettel, you know, ranging anywhere from uh, uh, folks starting a position, to p- a petition rather, to put uh, Alonso back in a Ferrari car, to, to folks calling for Vettel's head, to, uh, to uh, one guy who said, "You think Ferrari's pissed now that they're stuck with Vettel till 2020 since they signed that contract?" So, I mean, obviously, you know, Ferrari came out of the box looking really good this year. You know, and you and I talked week after week that said, okay, yeah, this is the race where, uh, you know, Mercedes is going to struggle and, and the Ferrari should have the upper hand here, right? But then time after time that we'd come back on the following week and say, boy, Mercedes didn't struggle there, you know? So um, it, it's to me, it just looks like um, Mercedes is operating at such optimum efficiency, you know that wherever wherever yeah. we expect them to struggle, they they have really you know you know focused on that and and there's like very few weaknesses at all within the team. Um, oh, and, and Ferrari and Ferrari seems to be I don't want to say they're in free fall, but there there seem to be some some disorganization there, some uh, you know some you know there's trouble behind the scenes. So uh, do we expect a um, you know can Ferrari you know, kind of recoup this season. Obviously, they're not going to win a title, but uh, do you see them maybe tightening up here, maybe after Austin, uh, uh, salvaging a bit? Or, I, oh boy, um, no, I really don't. Um, and I think the, the criticism against you know of Vettel is unjustified. 
you know, the guy is good. The guy is seriously good. Um, has you know has he made a couple of mistakes this year? Yeah. Has he, you know, lost races he should have won? Potentially, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the story of this season, in a way, is going to be that midsection of the season for sort of from. Oh, probably when was it? Sort of Azerbaijan through to sort of Hungary, maybe through through to the the, the summer break, when you went four or five races in a row where the fastest car didn't win the race, and you know I, I think that defined the, the championship. You know, there was races there that Ferrari should have won, and they didn't, and you know the, the, they. They made mistakes, um, and to have a chance of beating Mercedes, they needed to capitalize on those those events. Yeah, um, and it, it, you know, well, it appeared, yeah. you know, that that Ferrari was going to challenge Mercedes' dominance, and yeah, and I Mercedes, think a, Mercedes answered answered the challenge. I think there's been a couple of things going behind the scenes as well. You've seen there's this whole sort of story of the the battery system that ferrari run which from my understanding is unique to the rest of the 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 other you know unique to the other engine suppliers um and has caused the fia to request additional sensors on the ferrari package to confirm its legality um ferrari say that has the installation of that sensor hasn't caused them to slow down it does correlate pretty damn closely to tell you the truth. So, you know, it's hard to believe that it hasn't. Um, and of course, the other thing that happened to Ferrari, which has undoubtedly, I think, caused some um, upheaval and uh, unfortunate uh, circumstances, was the, the passing of Sergio Marchioni, um over the summer. You know, very, very influential person in the hierarchy there of Ferrari and, and the whole. Fiat Chrysler Group. Um, how much of an impact has that had on the senior management level? You'll probably never know, but undoubtedly somebody in that position will have an effect. Um, so maybe they're on a bit of a rebound from that and they're struggling a little bit there. But, you know, it just again highlights the, the, level, of, the level that Mercedes are working at. I'd almost say it's more impressive than when Red Bull won those four championships um, in the early sort of 2010s. Um, they're, they're, they're not making mistakes. They they arguably win races they shouldn't win. They they're the complete package. Um, yeah, and even I mean, there's a little bit of luck involved, right? But but you know you know you know there's no real luck in racing, right? No, I mean, it's, it's all it's all l- l- luck is where your your preparation <laughs> meets your uh, meets the road, you know. So uh, you know, I mean, to take a to take a, a golfing analogy, Gary Player once said, "The more I practice, the luckier I get." Right, right. But I, I would Which say, is very true. yeah, I yeah. would say we haven't seen uh, a team this much on their game since. I, I mean, what was the what was it eighty eighty eight eighty nine where. McLaren, yeah, McLaren won fifth, fifteen yeah. of sixteen races. Yeah, so and yeah. and even when Red Red Bull won all the championships, they they slipped up every now and again. You know, they, yeah, they, they you, didn't. You but didn't this get this impression of the dominance that that Mercedes you know, has we, right now, so right? I, I think with with Mercedes, there is this certain, and I'm sure this comes from Toto Wolff. 
there's this certain air of sort of German efficiency. You know, it's all very clinical and very clean cut. Whereas when you had Christian Horner spouting off at Red Bull, you know, it was all a little bit of arrogance thrown in there. You got that impression. Just so, like they go, they go to the racetrack and expect to win. And this is the difference. I think Red Bull expected to win. The, ex- the, the terminology I would use for Mercedes, and you could say this about any leading race team. You know, probably Hendrick had the same mentality when Jimmy Johnson was winning all the championships. They go to a race weekend expecting to execute a plan. They mm-hmm. know that if they execute that plan, they will win. More often than not, they will win a race. And NASCAR is slightly different. But in Formula 1, at the moment, with the way the series is set up, Mercedes don't go there thinking, we're going to win. They don't look at... I mean, the race is... The race, a Formula 1 race, is the culmination of... At the, at the track, two days of practice and qualifying. And in the factories before the race hours of simulation and hours of vehicle dynamics work and, you know, hours and hours of aero development. It, you know, it is purely those two hours are such a small grain of sand on the beach of what goes into winning that race that they know Mercedes go through these processes and they execute and they execute efficiently and they get the job done. I mean, you go back, in, you know, you go back in Formula 1 to... 20, 30, 40 years ago, and you look at the results, you know, even the cars that were winning the championship, you know, if it was a 16-race championship, as some of them were back then, you know, they'd probably retire from four or five of those races at least. You know, Mercedes' reliability is bulletproof, pretty much. Um, And they've changed the mentality of the sport massively over the last 20 years. It's not like a sport you must run like a business if you were a business you couldn't accept a 25 percent failure rate in your product like formula one was having in the um 80s and 90s you know you need a 99.9 percent you know success rate and that is the mentality that these teams have now it is all about executing a plan and executing a strategy and they know that if they execute the plan and they execute the strategy, and I'm not talking about race strategy, I'm talking about business strategy, then they will get the results. Um, so you've got to give a huge, huge, huge amount of credit to Mercedes and what they've done there. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 marvel, marvel, it's a marvel to watch. How that how they do it? I mean, it, it and like you said, it's almost it has a clinical type uh, uh, presentation yep. of how they do it. It, it each week. You know, it's it's all it's cut and dried. It's it it's almost you know you don't see any emotion until until the race is over. You know, it's all bang bang bang. And it's, it's if you watch practice, if you watch qualifying, it's the same thing. They they go through, they have their plan, they do it, uh, even down to when the cars come out, when they come out to qualify, when they put their lap together. And it's usually, you know, you, they make a flying lap right at the very end of each session, and it either advances them to the next or wins the pole 
ultimately. And, yeah. and you rarely you rarely see it go awry. And still, when it does go awry, when we think it may go awry, it may be that same precision. It's just that on this particular day that Ferrari was better. Yeah. But they but they still stick to their plan and go forward in the race. And, and it's amazing to watch. It really is. And that's why, you know, they have all of this simulation work and all of these tools available to them. And, you know, the amount of data that gets processed, you know, it, literally every single lap that is taken during practice and qualifying is, you know, of every car. You know, Mercedes will have data on every single car in that field. And it will do all the analysis. It will work out all the optimum pace, you know, setups. And they will then put into the, these supercomputers that they use, you know, predictions of race strategies and fuel usage and tire usage and all these sorts of stuff. And they will play out a race on these simulations tens of thousands of times, literally between the end of qualifying and the start of the race. And as the race goes on, all of these strategies and simulations are updated in real time. So, you know, they'll a lot of these calls that you see are not, you know, a, a crew they're not chief. Done on the, they're not done on no, the fly, right? No, they're not a crew chief throwing a Hail Mary here and trying to, you know, take a 10th place car and win the race. Mm-hmm. You know, these are strategies that are... And the problem is there. Every team is doing this now. So... You, you, you're working to sort of, I guess, the lowest common denominator. There's, there's no room for improvement. So, you, you know, it, 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 you, you, your margins are so small that, you know, it's very, very hard for other people to compete with a, a, an organization as efficient as Mercedes. Absolutely, yeah. So, so we got the um, a week off again, and then the, yep. form, the Formula One circus comes to the United States. Uh, yep. Where Lewis Hamilton has won the last couple or the last three yep. or four, right? Yeah, so uh, uh, you know, good on Lewis. But um, so, but before we, you know, kind of wrap up, I want to talk about another news story that broke uh, this week, which is uh, the announcement of the Formula W series. Now, this is the um, series that has uh, they've been talking about it for a couple of years. It was on again, off again, on again. Now it's apparently on. Uh, and it's a it's a single seater series. It falls somewhere between Formula Three and Formula Renault, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, they're basically Formula Three chassis. Yeah, yeah, somewhere somewhere right in there, and it's for exclusively for female drivers. Um, yeah. And this is the they say this is to give women a leg up uh, to prepare for careers in Formula One. Um, there are some folks who think this is a good idea. Uh, there are other folks who think this is segregating the boys from the girls. Uh, you know, and then you want to say, how many players in the WNBA have you seen go on to join the Los Angeles Lakers, right? Zero. Exactly. Um, and then you've got, uh, you know, Professor Ryan, uh, Pippa Mann, uh, who's a good friend of the show, has been one of the most vocal to say, this is just a step in the wrong direction, you know. Yeah. There, there are so many very talented female racers in junior series right now, um, you know, starting with uh, uh, this uh, young lady that won a K&N race last week. Uh, and mm-hmm. if you go all the way down to the to the karting levels, there are some really talented um, young ladies out there making a name for themselves. And I don't think it's 
it's right to segregate them and say, oh, here's your own little here's your own little playground, yeah. playground, you know, and and even like uh, other you know trailblazers of the sport, uh, uh, like Lynn St. James is saying, no, you know, if, if if the ladies are as good as the gentlemen, they need to compete with the gentlemen. So, yep. I mean, what what are your guys' thoughts on this? Is this is it, is this good for the sport? Good for the movement? Or is it bad? I think it's difficult, isn't it? I, it is. I, I, yeah. I think. I think. Mm, I think it's good that they'll have a pl- an independent platform. But again, it's like. I mean, you know, to put it into terms that we could maybe understand, it's a bit like comparing IndyCar to Formula One. You know, is a Scott Dixon going to be able to compete in Formula One? Is a is the people that win the Formula W championship going to be able to compete in Formula Two or Formula One or whatever? Right. Yeah. Is it is it a legitimate springboard? Yeah. Because it's largely um, it's a spec series, which in a lot of your junior series are, but you know are you know you open the door for for comparison and stuff. Oh well, you know the fellas in this series are faster, or or heck, it could go the other way. Could it could be that the, that the girls are a lot quicker than the guys in, in yeah. similar equipment. So I think but, it's difficult. I mean, I think that you know these days any team that would try to negatively discriminate against a woman from being successful in in single seater racing would have a very very hard time. I think that you know if women you know, at the end of the day when they get in a car they've got you know fireproof overalls and a helmet on nobody cares you know what gender what religion what color of their skin is nothing like that nobody cares so don't. If the women are good enough, they will make it. Yeah. And it, 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 Amen. It Amen to that. To... I think the problem isn't this. I don't think the problem is, you know, there's this, you know, there's no Formula W or whatever you want to call it. The problem is how many girls, you know, and young women do go karting. You go to a Grand Prix weekend, and I'm sure it's the same in in IndyCar, to a certain extent, it's the same in NASCAR. You go around the grandstands. And it's, you know, 60-40, the split male-female, probably. Mm-hmm. But then you look at how many, you know, eight-year-old girls there are down at your local, um, you know, go-kart track or your, your little dirt track or whatever, when, when that is, there's hardly any. That's where the issue is. Not right. manipulating it to create an output for these people, for, for the women, yeah, or any, you know, any minority... Any any perceived minority. Yeah, but I but what I've what I've witnessed anyway over the past decade or so that those hardly any um, you know young young ladies in uh, at the karting track or at the local dirt track has increased. That there are more and more. Yeah. Uh, so and I think and, and some of these some of these young ladies are very very good racers, and I think it's just a matter of time as the numbers increase at the junior levels till somebody really breaks through and just you know resets yeah. the bar for what you know for, for yeah. where we're at so but anyway uh, i think like go, go ahead greg like what frank i think like what richard was saying you know you don't want to create this artificial venue for them to compete in it, it, the the big thing is if if given the opportunity these women these young ladies with with the proper opportunity are going to have to win and they're gonna have they're gonna have to win when their chance comes up. And if they do that, then that will that will further the the door opening for other young women down the road. So so what's got to happen is we've had these women come in come in before. If 
but the women have to be given an opportunity and they have to make the most of it, of their opportunity to win. And the bottom line is they got to win against the guys to yep. to further their cause. That's that, that's what they've got to do. All right, fellas. Okay. Fellas, we are out of time. We are out of time. Cool. But I, Richard, I want to give you the last the last word of the evening goes to you, Richard Uden, and the Very floor quickly. floor is yours. Okay. So what happens? What happens when a, a, a female racer wins the Formula W series, gets in the Formula One car, and is three seconds off the pace? Well, there's guys in Formula One right now who are three seconds off the pace. I mean. I mean yeah, you but got. You know, uh, what happens if they don't get to Formula One? Yeah, what exactly. I don't. I think that the the, where, where the car they're putting out there is still a few steps down from Formula One, and it comes oh, yeah. it, it comes with a good amount of scholarship money. They're saying, uh, what is it, one hundred fifty thousand dollar or five hundred five hundred thousand dollars for the winner and one point five million purse overall. I mean, there's some good money behind this, and the interesting thing is the guy, one of the guys behind it, is David Coulthard, who has not been. Exactly, kind with his comments about women drivers over the years, but um, but, but coincidentally, yeah. But guys, we are out of time. I, I want to thank you, Richard Gray and Joey. Uh, appreciate you guys, uh, Seth. We miss you this week. Hopefully, uh, uh, you're weathering the storm there, and your internet comes back on. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network, iHeart Radio, and all you folks that tune in to listen. Have a good night. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.